And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us. As we come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and Blueberry, and many other locations. Folks are reposting the interviews, too. Thanks so much for doing that. We're going to give you our guest website here in just a couple of minutes so that you can continue your transformational process. We certainly hope that you will visit our guest websites as you listen to the interviews to uh, get more information. Maybe get a copy of their book or their CD or maybe enroll in a class or a webinar, seminar, whatever they're calling them now, Zoominar, I don't know. Uh, we certainly hope you'll do that. And we also hope that you will support us financially. We can use all the help that we can get. That's why we have both a Patreon and PayPal account so that uh, uh, you can uh, basically contribute to the work that we are doing if you like the work that we're doing uh, with security, with confidence and uh, um, basically peace of mind. That's the reason that I use those two particular uh, outlets. And uh, we also want to remind you that this is 2020, the year of perfect vision. We we want you to spend some time alone with yourself out in nature if you can. Um, just just calm. Find that calm, peaceful, quiet place that uh, basically uh, keeps you going. And uh, we hope that you will uh, we hope that you will do that. We have a special guest with us here on the program today, and uh, we hope that you will uh, take the time to uh, uh, go to his website, and what's really fascinating is that his website is the same as his name, and it is uh, Dr. Jim Taylor.com. And uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's a pleasure to have you with us. A uh, great pleasure to be here, Richard. You have a title. Uh, you have, we're going to talk a lot uh, about how to survive and thrive when bad things happen. Nine steps to cultivating an, uh, an opportunity mindset in crisis. First of all, uh, tell us a little bit about how you, you fell, so to speak, <laughs> fell into this particular topic. Well, I have a PhD in psychology and I work with um, high level performers in a lot of different avenues, whether it's business, medicine, uh, sports, and in, in, in also just with regular people. And one thing that I found is that everybody experiences crises. And what's ironic is that I wrote this book, it came out in 2019, before the COVID-19 crisis occurred. Um, so it, it seemed to be quite timely. And so in my, it, during the course of my career and in my life in general, um, I came across people who had crises. And I saw a lot of different reactions to crises, some incredibly positive and, and, and thoughtful and, and healthy and others less so. And so it occurred to me that there, and as I, I did some research and I found out there weren't a lot of books written as sort of at a real human level about how to deal with a crisis. And so that's what led me to, uh, to write my book. Well, I will tell you that, uh, and I say this, uh, um, uh, very supportively of you that uh, you have sort of stolen my thunder on this program when it comes to talking about wanting to move. Now, this is my phrase, and you can use it if you'd like. We are working with this program and all of the guests, including yourself on this program, to move from, I've had it up to here with survival, I want to move to thrival. <laughs> yes, well, that's an important distinction I make 
between um, our primitive instincts, which drive our, re our, our typical reactions to a crisis and, and driven by our survival instinct to our thrival instinct. And it's interesting, Richard, because when I first used the word thrival, I wasn't actually sure it was a real word. Um, so I looked it up on the internet and it is actually a word. I thought and, I created it. <laughs> well, we all like to think we create these and invariably somebody thought of it before, but we, we discovered it for ourselves and that has meaning. Well, I'm glad. And, and so, so really this is about more than just surviving a crisis such as COVID, both on the health side and the financial side, but also looking for opportunities to thrive and grow in, in, in somewhat difficult situations such as these. Well, I have to tell you that back in January 2020, when we began, and actually I'd begun it in September of 2019, the year of perfect vision, encouraging people to go within. Um, but in January, when I heard about it, the, the virus, I thought, you know, damn it, we need to do something different this time. Come on. This is ridiculous. You know, every time the influenza rolls around, and I'm, I'm 60, so I've gone through a few years of uh, having the influenza roll through. Now, I haven't had a flu shot for probably over 40. Have I ever gotten the flu? Damned if I know, because the worst case I've ever had was when I worked 21 days straight and my body said, that's it, and laid me up for three days. That's as sick as I got. It wasn't the flu. It was literally exhaustion. Um, but when this thing hit, they decided to shut things down and I went, hooray, I, how exciting is this? Because I thought of what Einstein said about insanity. The definition is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And at least this time, whether we like it or not, we're getting a different result. Plus, I have to tell you, uh, Jim, that one of the other huge things that came rolling through my mind was... What incredible opportunities are before us, and we don't even know what they are yet. Talk to us about that aspect of looking at crises. Now, I know that I've been through wildfires here in Southern California, you know, I mean, four, 14 in 14 years, probably. Uh, I've kind of had enough of that, too. <laughs> but what about, uh, do you know many people who feel any kind of elation during a crisis, not that they want people hurt or ill or injured or anything, but because they see the potential out there. They can see it. Even though they don't know what it is, they know it's out there. Sure. Well, I appreciate your perspective on seeing um, crises as opportunities because I do like, as you suggest, I want to be sensitive to people who have very, who have been very powerfully and directly impacted by COVID. Either they've gotten sick or they've lost loved ones um, to COVID or they've lost their jobs or their homes. So there are people out there who are really just trying to survive. And I want to be very respectful of that. Yes. At the same time, at the same time, for many of us, I live in Northern California and we, I, I know one person who's gotten COVID. And so I also like your perspective that, that this is a chance to, that our lives are disrupted. And let's start with a couple of basic thoughts on, on that. That people don't like disruption of their routines. People like the, the familiarity, the predictability, the control, the comfort of their lives. Um, that has great value in terms of survival, but it also it can limit thrival because it doesn't, it, it, because it perpetuates our, our, our ways of thinking, our ways of feeling, our ways of acting. And it's hard to change our lives if, if we've built a world that supports our current life. 
And so a crisis with this massive disruption, disruption, especially with the lockdown, the shelter at home that, that occurred for a while, um, really forced us to change, at least temporarily. And that can provide an opportunity for stepping back and saying, okay, you know what? This is the life I've led. Life is disrupted. What do I want to, what might I want to change in my life for the better and use this disruption as an opportunity for growth? Yeah. Well, and I know that there are a lot of people who are, they're just not there. And, and again, you and I are on the same page as far as, again, this entire program, however we phrase things, folks, we are doing our utmost to be as respectful of you and your feelings and what you're going through as we can. But Jim, at the same time, there's almost, and I don't want to come across as a hammerhead, but there's almost a hammerhead attitude of, come on, people, we can do this. It can be an incredible experience if we'll just, uh, you know, stop thinking the way we've been thinking. And one example I'll give you of mine is a financial thought. Years ago, even in my first marriage, every time the paychecks would roll in, and we were, like most people, living paycheck to paycheck, the stress set in, the anxiety. Uh, maybe I missed a payment or two on a credit card, and I'm starting to get the phone calls now and everything. And I got to tell you, I was literally sweating. I couldn't sleep at night sometimes. And I know every, there are a lot of people that have gone through this and are going through it. And as the months went by, and it wasn't until my second marriage that it, this really hit me, every time the paycheck would come in, living from paycheck to paycheck, I began to realize that it didn't kill me. I was still here. I was still breathing, living, working, playing, doing the other things that I was doing. And every month that went by, I kept reminding myself of that until I got to the point where I said, look, these are just numbers. You're doing the best you can. You keep moving forward, do what you can, but you're going to live through this. This is not going to kill you. Now that's a financial issue. Certainly COVID, we don't know because we don't know what each of us has as far as an immune system and whether or not we will or will not catch it. And I, and I get that. Uh, but at the same time, doesn't that perspective of optimism, that mindset that you talk about in uh, the nine steps to cultivating an opportunity mindset in crisis, doesn't that do something to our biology, our chemistry? Yeah. Well, um, you're really leading in the direction I, I want you to go in this because well, thank this, you. <laughs> this is a, a really important distinction. And in my book, I make this distinction, this, this differentiation between a crisis mentality and, oper- and an opportunity mindset. So let's start with the crisis mentality. So um, let's go back to the Serengeti 250,000 years ago when we first officially became human beings, homo sapiens. So our singular drive back then was to survive or to survive because if we couldn't survive we couldn't propagate the species and continue living to heading toward 2020 and the a little lesson in brain anatomy there's a part of the brain in, in what's called the primitive brain in the lower part of the brain called the amygdala and this is um this is a structure through which all information passes and produces emotional reactions to situations and so the amygdala basically is driven by our instincts to survive and um, in, in, in what are perceived as threats and immediate reactions. So, so a crisis back then might have been being faced with a saber-toothed tiger or a rival tribesman with a really big club. So that triggered, the, the, our amygdala triggered our survival instinct, which then triggered our, what we all know as the fight-or-flight reaction, where in order to survive, we had to, we had to act very quickly 
and either fight against the threat or run away from the threat. And that in turn produced really intense emotions such as uh, fear and anger, fight or flight, which then produced frenzied reactions. Because if we didn't act immediately and intensely, we were probably going to die. So we would panic or, uh, or we would act in a, in a really rash way. So my basic thesis in my book is what worked then doesn't work now. Because a crisis 250,000 years ago, Richard, is very different than the crises we face now, such as COVID. Mm-hmm. And so, so if you think about those, those threats, they were threats to our survival, they were immediate, they were clear, and they were tangible. The rival tribesman with the club is gonna pummel me to death. If I don't do something very quickly, I'm going to die. And so that produced, again, very quick reactions. Modern day crises are very different. We can't fight COVID. We can't even see COVID. We can't exactly run away from it. Although, of course, with a lot of the rule um, regulations, we can isolate ourselves and remove ourselves from some of the threat. But modern day crises, whether it's a financial crisis, um, relationship crisis, career, financial, technological, corporate, the list goes on. We can't address them directly because they're often either distant or delayed. You can't see them. We can't quite understand them. Um, And they're beyond our immediate control. We can't just stop COVID. We can't just come up with a vaccine. We're hoping other other people do. So this basic idea that what worked then in terms of our reactions to a crisis no longer worked. And that's where that crisis mentality is no longer effective. And yet it has been wired into us for millions of years of evolution since we climbed out of the primordial muck. And so that is our great challenge in a way is resisting those, those primitive forces in us and using our, our more evolved capacities to confront this crisis. What are your thoughts in regards to dealing with this crisis? I'd like to look at it more as this opportunity, but those are there are two sides, I guess, of the same coin. When the president said we're at war, I was appalled. My personal feeling was, are you kidding me? Are you serious that we can't even get through this situation without going to war? And I understand the metaphor, but we never went to war against any other virus. And I, I then I got real facetious <laughs> and I said, how do you know that this isn't some intelligent being from another planet that just wants to communicate and we haven't figured out how? Where is the prime directive when we need it? Right, right. Well, I don't want to get into uh, to get too political here. No, no, no. I, and I don't want to be political, but I'm just right. asking in terms of the term, not specifically of yeah. the president, but using that term to describe the activity that we're involved with coronavirus. Well, I, I think what what that does, I, I don't think it's the best use of the word, um, but in a way, we are. This is an adversary. This is an opponent that we have to defeat. And yes, it could be some alien being, but that gets a little too weird. Uh, right, right. Sure you can appreciate it. Sure. But, but, um, but uh, I think what, what war does, it, it's, it's energizing. It's something that people can wrap their arms around. You know, we've had the war on poverty. We've had the war against uh, other countries. And we've, we have a war against um, this particular crisis. Um, I think there are better ways we could do it, which is less adversarial mm-hmm. and more positive. Um, but, you know, our president has an incredible soapbox to, st- to stand on and a big megaphone. 
So, um, you know, sure. people can accept or reject as they are, sure. are most comfortable. But what about using certain terminology when facing certain crises? Uh, you know, I mean, I realize that uh, because I've been through 14 fires in 14 years living here in Santa Barbara. And fortunately, we were only evacuated one time. And some of these fires came darn close to where we live. So, you know, we've been very fortunate. My wife likes to think that we we live in a bubble up on the hill uh, where we live uh, in that we're we're fairly protected. Uh, Although when we first moved there, there was this one oak tree that had a lot of charring on it. And our our landlord told us, oh, yeah, there was a fire last year, 2005, when we we moved in 2006 up there. There was a fire up there 2005. And it's like, I got to believe we're living in a bubble up there, which is kind of nice. But, you know, I, I also respect the forest. I respect the conditions under which we live. And it doesn't matter where you live. If I lived in Los Angeles, okay, now you're dealing with earthquakes. Uh, if you're living pretty much anywhere, you're dealing with something. I certainly wouldn't want to live along the Gulf Coast every year, the prospects, and most likely the assurance that we're going to get hurricaned. We're going to get nailed with a hurricane, some kind of tropical storm like that. And this season's supposed to be pretty bad. So, you know, yet we keep moving back to those spots, you know. But there is no real certain pl- place that we can live that is... Uh, secure and free of the potentiality for crises. How do you prepare yourself? And I want to get into these nine steps, but how does one prepare oneself uh, ahead of time? I mean, there's only so much you can do because once you're in it now, that flight fright might kick in. But for me, the first fire that I was facing was hundreds of miles away, but I didn't have any points of reference and I freaked out. It was the fright mode but as the years went on and i got more knowledgeable and i was more connected with the powers that be as far as uh, first responders i became less fearful more intellectual more understanding of what i needed to do where i live more prepared to where now i i kind of get a little angry like oh who did something stupid and sparked this fire but how do we prepare uh, for things of this nature, at least up to, up to the point where uh, prior to the event actually happening so that we can, okay, I've got this anchor and here I go. Sure. Well, first of all, we can't really prepare in, in the fullest sense for a lot of these crises because they are by definition unexpected. Nobody expected this to occur. I mean, maybe a few people predicted something would happen in the future, but I think at a general level, there are a couple things we can do. Um, first of all, we can develop a healthy perspective. So, that, you know, there are crises of all, of all types and all sizes occur in our lives. This is a major one. We have crises every day with our, with our kids, with the people we work with, um, in many aspects of our lives. And those are like many opportunities to prepare for the big ones. So a lot of perspectives, how I respond to, to the little crises can then help me prepare for the big crises. And if I have this healthy perspective about crises, then when they do hit, I'm not gonna freak out as much. Mm. Um, I, I think also just through, through life and experience, we, did, we can develop a certain level of resilience, that life is unpredictable. Life is out of our control sometime. And if we freak out every time, it's not gonna be a very great way to live. So learning to be resilient and accept there are a lot of things that happen to us in our lives and we can't control, so it's not the events that matter as much as, as how we respond to them. And then we, depending upon where we live, we live in the Bay Area. My family does. 
um, north of San Francisco. So, you know, there are earthquakes. And so there are certain things we can do to prepare for an earthquake in terms of emergency kits and so on. So, so I think there are a few things you can do in terms of perspective, resilience, and sort of tangible preparation that can help. But ultimately, what's most important is when it does happen, to be able to step back and not succumb to that crisis mentality. Now, it's going to occur initially because it, it, it is wired into us to be absolutely immediate. But as soon as the immediate shock wears away, to be able to then step back and make the shift from this crisis mentality, which is driven by the amygdala, to the opportunity mindset, which is, which is driven by some other brain structures. And if you'd allow me to, I'd like to explore this, this, this idea about opportunity mindset. I would love to do that, and we're going to. We're going to take a quick break first, though, and uh, I'm going to let our listeners know that we are talking with Dr. Jim. You go by Jim or James? Jim. Jim, Jim James Taylor sounds too much like a singer. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jim, Dr. Jim Taylor. Uh, by the way, you're a doctor in... I have a PhD in psychology. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I feel like I'm getting, I, I, I tell people all the time, this program is my therapy, and you are my therapist. <laughs> How to survive and thrive when things happen, when bad things happen. Nine steps uh, to cultivating an opportunity mindset, which is what we're going to talk about when we come back in a crisis. So we want you to stay where you are. Uh, by the way, the website that you want to go to to find out more, is drjimtaylor.com. That's dr for doctor, drjimtaylor.com. I'm Richard Dugan, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We'll be right back. Tell me your stories. I'll do my best to understand you. And what we are trying to understand on this program is how to prepare ourselves Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I believe that's part of it, too, uh, for the crises that not might happen, but that will happen, that are going to happen just because of the fact that we live on this this planet. We live in this universe and it's just the way things are. Uh, that's part of the dynamic, if you will. And we're glad that we have someone to help us figure out how to survive and thrive. When bad things happen, Dr. Jim Taylor, thank you so much for staying with us. Let us begin the deep dive uh, into what an optimistic uh, opportunity mindset is. And maybe even as we go through that, we can also discuss those nine steps, maybe starting with the first three or four or five before we have to end our program, hopefully a, while, a little while away. So go ahead and let's begin that uh, journey. Sure. So as, talk, as I talked about earlier, the crisis mentality is driven by our amygdala, which is wired into us through evolution to cause us to react very quickly and immediately to crises. But again, what worked then doesn't work now because modern day crises are different than crises we faced when, 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 when we were early uh, with our ancestors. So an opportunity crisis starts with another part of the brain um, that evolved. We have this thing on top of our brain called the, uh, the cerebral cortex. And it's what separates us from animals. And a, a key part of that um, cerebral cortex is what's called the prefrontal cortex. It's in the sort of upper forehead area of our brain. And it's involved in what's called executive functioning. And executive functioning is very popular these days among um, uh, child development experts and so on. Um, but it, all, it affects us all in, in ways in terms of it, it controls our decision making, our examining and identifying options and choices, weighing risks and rewards, being able to look to the future versus immediate consequences. 
And so in a way, what, what, what my book tries to do is help us all to disengage our amygdala and engage our prefrontal cortex, our executive functioning um, when a crisis strikes. And so a couple of key components of the opportunity mindset is, first of all, instead of the, the negative, fearful, angry response of the crisis mentality, the opportunity mindset is about a positive orientation. So, so not what I can get away from, but what can I do to deal with this in a very positive and constructive way? Another key part of it is being calm and purposeful. So the crisis mentality, that causes us to become very anxious and fearful and angry and frustrated and so on. Not pleasant or helpful emotions. And so the, the, the prefrontal cortex and, um, and the opportunity mindset helps us stay calm. And instead of with a crisis mentality, this sort of frantic, um, chaotic reaction, it enables us to be able to step back and be very purposeful in how we approach things. So that alone reduces the stress level it enables us to think more clearly and deliberately, and then enables us to produce a reaction. So, and, and again, with COVID, uh, fight or flight just doesn't work. So how can we in our lives manage this crisis? So it might have to do on the financial side with, with making sure we've got um, some money to fall back on or that our bills are, are paid up. From the health perspective, we can wear masks have six feet of distance, maybe disinfect our, our houses uh, more fully, things like that. So doing de deliberate steps for things that we can control. Um, get into some of the steps that we talked about. Um, I, I think, Richard, one of the really key ones is values. Now, I'm a values guy. And one of the dangers of being a values guy is people make assumptions about values. And because values these days have been hijacked by, by groups with different agendas. And when I talk about values though, I'm talking about values that everybody can agree on. Because if we know what our values are, what that does, it provides us with two things. First of all, solid, uh, solid ground to stand on. So these are the values on which we live. And it might be personal responsibility, helping others, um, um, integrity, whatever it might be. But also those values act as our North Star as well uh, in terms of guiding us in what direction we wanna go in this crisis. So how are we going to respond? Well, we respond generally based upon what we value on our priorities on what's important to us. And feel free to uh, jump in anytime if you want. Sure, sure, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You're doing great. So, so values are really important. Um, attitudes are really big as well. And attitudes tie in with perspective, which is how you look at a situation. So, for example, one distinction I make in my book is between being a victim and a master. So when you're a victim... It's not my fault. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm at the mercy of, other, of, of external things. Now, yes, there are a lot of things we can't control with COVID, but there are also a lot of things we can control. So deciding, so in my life, I'm going to do what I need to do that I can control. So for example, it might be um, continuing to eat well, getting exercise, um, continuing to do my work remotely, taking care of my kids, helping my neighbors, which of course are also value-driven components as well. Mm -hmm. so, so, so really making sure that you're taking control of what you can in, in your life, which is so, so important. Um, other things um, in terms of mindset, and another one of my nine steps is what kind of, mind steps is sort of, mindset is sort of at a very direct level. What are you thinking about that impacts your reaction to a crisis? So one, one distinction is optimism versus pessimism. It's like, whoa, it's me. This is terrible. This is so unfair. 
versus, okay, you know, a lot of people are suffering out there more than I am. So what can I do to help myself, my situation and other people's situation? You know, and so, yeah, I was going to say, uh, it's interesting, you know, you talk about that because, huh, and I'm not afraid of sharing this. Uh, I, I can violate the HIPAA law all I want because it's about me. Uh, my, my, uh, my, uh, people, my people, <laughs> my audience knows that I have high blood pressure and I've had it for a number of years, but it was only after I moved to Santa Barbara. I don't know if there's a connection, but there probably is. I was just recently diagnosed after, just after I couldn't believe it, my 60th birthday. And I stand corrected. It was actually, yeah, uh, I ha- I'm, I'm now type two diabetic. Now, uh, there were indications years ago I was pre-diabetic and so forth. And I will tell you why I bring that up. Because my wife, she is uh, both in an intellectual but a fearful phase. Because she's almost viewing it as if it's a death sentence for me. And she doesn't want to lose me. I don't want to lose me. I call my mother. And she's almost matter-of-fact about it. As if, eh, kind of expected that. And a lot of other people start giving me all of this advice, uh, telling me this, that, and the other thing. And I'm sitting here going, wait a minute. You don't get where I'm coming from. I'm viewing this as an opportunity, not a wake-up call, but an opportunity to really be able to watch my blood sugar. I now have one of those meters, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, everybody should carry one of these and check their blood sugar, whether they're diabetic or not. I think that's a great, uh, almost along the lines of having a, a little uh, heart monitor, you know, that you can check to see how your heart's doing from time to time. Because maybe you'll, can, you can catch something before the, the medic can, uh, and, uh, and then you can get treated early. So anyway, I look at this as just, it's like, for me, it's a puzzle. It's a game. All right. It is a challenge. There's no question. But as uh, from as our as our conversation carries on, I've only uh, been in this phase for uh, I'm going into my third week. Okay, and I've already brought my number down, my my blood pressure, blood sugar number down from 544 to 256 in less than three weeks. Now, I realize it fluctuates. I get that part of it. Okay, but the reality is the pandemic, you talked about the uncertainties of coronavirus. I will bet you that more people are going to come down with type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes because of the pandemic, because they went to comfort foods and didn't get out and exercise a lot than anything else. And that's what I told my medic, my doctor. I think this is due to the pandemic. And as soon as we get back, and we have, get back to cooking at home, cooking foods on the... So I'm going to the point of having a support group around you that, number one, doesn't throw negative stuff at you, but then also just kind of listens to you and says, yeah, I hear we're, that's fantastic, Richard, great, and doesn't start throwing all kinds of advice at you. Right. That's all really great stuff, and it's an incredible attitude. And one thing, a distinction that I make and I, in all, many aspects of the work I do is when faced with a crisis or any kind of situation, do you perceive it as a threat or a challenge? And this is a very important distinction because how you perceive any situation such as COVID dictates how you think about it, how you, your, the emotions you experience, and then how you react to it. So when you're threatened by something, your natural reaction is to run away, to hide. 
and, and, and also to become, again, fearful, anxious, stressed out, and so on. And that typically doesn't produce any, a, ser- a set of thinking, emotions, or reactions that are helpful. And so if, as you have done yourself right here in this example it, with your health challenges, is you're seen as a challenge. And with a challenge, physiologically, you, you, you're sort of calm but excited. Yeah. Um, your, your attitude is, is positive, can do. And, and your action is toward the thing. So you're not trying to run away, avoid it. You're going at the thing. And so, so seeing a crisis as a challenge to overcome rather than a threat, rather than a threat to avoid. Because again, as with many crises, they can't be avoided. So yeah. you need to be able to confront them in some positive way. So yeah. I think it's a wonderful perspective. Now, wildfires you want to run away from, let the first responders deal with that. <laughs> right, right. But again, that, that's a great distinction because that is immediate. So that's just like the caveman yeah. on the Serengeti with the rival tribesmen with the big club. So it's very immediate. You can you know exactly what to do. That is, get the heck out of there. Now, but with, with COVID, you can't get the heck out of there exactly. No, no, you really can't. And all you can do to the best of your ability is to protect yourself, whether it be the three keys I've come up with this slogan, wash up, mask up, back up. Okay. If you nice. do those three things and you're in a civilized, uh, uh, urban area, uh, then yeah, you need to do those things and you're, you're less likely, less likely not immune, but less likely to contract. Uh, we are fortunate. We live up in the rural part of Santa Barbara above the uh, city and we get away. And for the weekend, we're for two and a half days. We're up on a hill away from everybody. And it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Not everybody has that option. OK, so when you talk about these different mindsets, I want to dive into another area here with you on this regard in this regard uh, to what I already mentioned at the front end of the program. And that is using one's intuition. We have a program on the station that this program airs called Community Alert. Positive preparation for disaster. Not if, but when. And uh, they give out, uh, every week they will give out a list of things that you want to have collected up in a container or something ready to go in your ditty bag, your go bag, your box, whatever it is. Um, but there's also another thing where they say, if nobody calls you, you see smoke, you smell smoke, you've tried to get through to people, and you don't feel comfortable staying, go. Don't wait for somebody to come and knock on the door and say, uh, you know, you might want to go. The in- Our intuition. Talk to us about that element of survival to thrival. Yeah. So it's, it's a really interesting question and a really interesting perspective because what people think of intuition as this sort of like ethereal emotional, non-rational aspect of us. And yet our intuition has been wired into us for very, over, you know, eons for very good reasons. And so for me, intuition, I call it high speed, um, non-conscious processing. So, so for example, um, with, 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 let's say an approaching fire, um, where people are saying, you know, there's nothing to worry about or nobody's saying anything at all. And, but something's, something's talking to you inside. And I'm a big believer in trusting your intuition because it has a lot of experience and it doesn't allow the mind, the conscious mind, the clutter that can often interfere with making good decisions, um, get in the way. And so I'm a big believer in really trusting those feelings. If you get this feeling like, okay, you know what? 
I need to do something here, then I believe it's, it's, it's a very deep part of your mind telling you to get the heck out of Dodge or to take some sort of action. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so in a, in a way, sort of a, a non-conscious early warning signal that, that, that I certainly over the years have come to trust that it tells me the right thing, even though there's no clear linear process of how I got to that point, but at an unconscious level, it went through that process and it's telling me to take some action now. And I have to tell you that if, if you have physically prepared for, and you can, you can only prepare so much for these disasters, these crises, let's, let's put it in a different word, crises. If you've done all you can to prepare physically for crises and you have gathered all of the information and now your mental state is, okay, I know where we're going, I know how we're getting there and what we're going to do and so forth. Uh, then your emotions, when it, the crises hit, are not going to be as high. And you're going to feel much more secure, much more confident, much more sure of what you are doing at the moment. And I can explain how there was, it was called the Whittier Fire, and it broke out west of our home, so about a mile or two, but the winds uh, were, were kind of pushing it along a little bit. And um, we got a pound, a, a siren honking at our front door and a pounding on our door saying, you've got 10 minutes. Now, we saw the smoke ahead of time. So we started to put things together. I threw stuff that we needed to throw into the into the uh, back of the Volvo. We got the cats together in a crate. We got the dogs in the Volvo. I can't believe we squeezed uh, f f six cats, two dogs, my wife and I into a four door sedan. But we did. And stuff in the trunk. No animals in the trunk. I'll tell you that right now. But as we were leaving, heading down the hill, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't scared. I was anxious because I was now instructed to find a place for us to stay, like a hotel room. Uh, and we were headed for the animal shelter to, uh, to secure our animals. But I, I, that was probably the biggest thing was I, was, I wasn't fearful of what was going to happen to the, the place where we were renting. Uh, or that we were going to get out in time because we were moving away from the fire. And when we finally got to the hotel room, I felt like, oh, this is interesting. It's kind of like a staycation. I still have to go to work. But that's, and I would, we would never be staying at this hotel if this crisis hadn't erupted. Uh, and then we moved to a second hotel and a third hotel. Same thing. Oh, hey, this is kind of neat. We, we never would have done this. I could, I could write some Yelp reviews. That was honestly my perspective, you know? So I think that what you talk about is extremely important in terms of those physical, mental, which then I believe does take care of to some degree the emotional, but more importantly, the spiritual or that intuition, boy, that can pay big dividends. And I don't believe that our intuition will ever put us in harm's way, might challenge us but will never put us in harm's way sure yeah no I, I agree it's a great example and and along with this opportunity mindset is seeing that this is not only an opportunity to get through the crisis um in in a healthy positive way but also to actually grow from it and become a better person from it and and because again our lives have been disrupted so it gives us the opportunity to step back and think about what kind of changes we'd like to make and so if, if you will, I'd like to share a couple of ideas to help 
to help people um, figure out how they can grow from a crisis. Dr. Jim's, uh, Jim Taylor, you're on. Okay, great, great. <laughs> so I, I'd already said about how you want to view this, the crisis as a challenge to pursue, not a threat to, to avoid. And along with that, and I know this is super cliche, but to have a positive attitude. And I don't mean a Pollyannish attitude like, oh my gosh, this COVID thing is the greatest thing in the world, but more like, okay, you know what? We've got some challenges here. We're going to face them head on and we're, we're going to come out of it better than we were before. So really making being aware of, of your overall attitude and doing what you can to shift it in a more positive way. And again, not unrealistically so, but nonetheless being able to see the good things that can come out of it. Hmm. Um, another really good one is, is the natural tendency in a, in a crisis to lose motivation, to want to metaphorically circle the wagons and withdraw. And that, that's a time when it's really important to reignite your motivation. Find something to get excited about, whether it's recommitment to working remotely, to your job, to maybe physical activity, to your family, but find something that you can attach your motivation to and put yourself into it. Because the worst thing in the world to do is in a crisis is to make, is to add insult to injury. So the injury is the crisis. The insult is losing motivation, being really negative, withdrawing from the world. All these things are incredibly unhealthy. So finding somehow to reignite that motivation, to, to throw yourself into something that's positive and constructive. Um, another really important thing is just stress. And you mentioned the stress of, of the fire breaking out and having to, to leave your home. And, and being able to handle stress is another incredible skill set, another set of tools, if you will. And so there are a lot of different ways to, to um, deal with stress, um, whether it's breathing and meditation or exercise or cooking or being with friends or whatever it might be. But being very deliberate to, uh, to being aware of your level of stress and doing things to, to lessen it in a very proactive way. Because otherwise, because this is not just a one-off a one experience we're having lasting a week or two. This has been going on for months and our stress levels have naturally been turned up. The volume on our stress has been turned up. And it, the longer it lasts, the, more, the greater toll it's gonna take on our body. And so really important to, uh, to do things to control your stress and, and reduce your stress. Absolutely. Uh, as I, I, I uh, iterated to earlier in your question to you, uh, in terms of uh, our metabolism, our chemistry, our biology, uh, those mindsets can, can go a long way. I mean, we've, we've have examples down through history and in the last few centuries of documented cases where uh, people have been diagnosed with something and all of the evidence is there. The, the, the evidence is there. All of the tests were done. And somehow, some way, at the last stage of whatever it was they were in, it went away. It went into remission. And that's, that's how I look, too, at, with, for example, my diabetes, my uh, type 2. Um, I, I, from what I've learned thus far, every human being on the planet has the potential for type 2. The question is, is your diet and your lifestyle contributing to that potential now with crises that come up like covid earthquakes etc you know yeah the potential is there 
Um, and, and sometimes we're going to get caught up in it. And there's nothing we can do about that. So then we need to go to your book about uh, how to sur- survive uh, to thrive. Uh, I think that, that it's time that we started to take a look at some of these things. And it's one of those things that, that sort of bothers me about our leaders in general. Again, I do not want to get political here. That you know, there are those who are trying to help and then there are those who are, like I've been accused of, of my observations of my diabetes, trying to minimize what's happening and come up with all kinds of scenarios. I mean, I'll be honest with you, my conspiracy theory of it being an alien force or, or being is as plausible as anybody else's. And before we move any further, I want to remind you, we're talking with Dr. Jim Taylor. He has written a wonderful book, I really think. It would behoove you to pick it up, and we're going to have him talk more about what we've been discussing here. How to survive and thrive when bad things happen. We've talked a little bit about the nine steps, uh, basically to cultivating an opportunity mindset in a crisis. So I'm going to let you dive back into uh, this whole conversation as we continue talking here on Tell Me Your Story. And thanks for staying with us. Sure. Absolutely, Richard. So a couple of things that you can do to re- to help you get through a crisis in, in, with this opportunity mindset, and in fact, grow from the crisis. Um, one, I touched on this earlier, but this idea of controlling the controllables. That th- there are a lot of things with this COVID crisis that we can't control, um, but there are a lot of things we can control. And our, our health, our relationships, um, following uh, the guidelines for six feet of distancing and wearing a mask and washing hands and so on. So, so looking for all the things in our lives that we can control and making sure that we're controlling them to the, to the best of our ability. Because one thing as human beings we don't like is being out of control because that's very threatening to us. So the more we can control even little things can make a huge difference in how we think about a crisis, our emotional reactions to the crisis, and then how we respond to the crisis. Um, speaking of emotions, one of the most important things to do during a crisis that is so filled with negative emotions, again, frustration and anger and fear and disappointment and maybe some despair thrown in, is to generate positive emotions. Proactively do things that make you feel good. And there are a lot of things you can do that make you feel good. We all have our own laundry list. For me, it's, it's exercise. For me, it's being with my family. Um, it can be having, enjoying a nice meal, watching a movie, reading a book, listening to music, the list goes on. But in a time of a crisis such as we're in now, that's so pervasive with negative emotions, it's so valuable to do things that actively generate positive emotions that, that, that oppose and contradict all those negative emotions. Mm. Um, that's one of the most powerful things because we experience crises most powerfully at an emotional level. Um, two other last thoughts on this is mm-hmm. one is social support and connection. And I have to tell you, I wrote an op-ed that was in um, uh, San Francisco Chronicle a month or so ago that criticized the use of the phrase social distancing, because the last thing we want to do is socially distance ourselves. Yes, we want to physically distance ourselves. We need to keep the six feet, but isolating ourselves is the worst thing we can do mm. right now. More than anything, we need connection with other people. We need social support. And that doesn't mean going to parties and being within a few feet of people and without masks. It means reaching out in safe ways, whether I've seen people in our driveways in our neighborhoods, parents sitting six feet apart, talking and connecting. 
um, using video conferencing with people, with family and friends in other parts of the country, but really actively seeking out social support because the research is very clear. One of the most powerful and robust um, mitigators of stress is social support and connection. So, so being able to have those connections is so important. So use the term physical distancing rather than social distancing is actually more accurate and appropriate. Thank you. And that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm a word, a word guy because of my writing and my speaking and my consulting. And, and I just didn't think that social distancing was the appropriate term because we don't want to social distance. We want to socially connect while maintaining physical distance. How are you doing uh, these days? Um, you know, I'm doing fine. Um, what's interesting is professionally in my work, it hasn't changed very much. Um, I've always had a home office, so, so that hasn't changed. And that's where I am right now. And also I, I work remotely with clients all over the world. So most of my clientele are not local face-to-face. -face. So that hasn't um, had much of an effect. Um, I'm able to, I don't have to worry about commuting, things like that. So my life day-to-day -day hasn't changed very much. Um, having my kids in the house, uh, I have two daughters, two, two teenagers um, in the house all the time is, is a challenge. And my wife is re working remotely as well. So we're all in the house. And that's an, another great challenge for families is initially, this, this, this engine um, perspective, the feedback I got from a lot of people the first oh, month or two of, of the shutdown, um, and in my own experience, was that this was a wonderful opportunity to really connect with your family and to get closer and do things together and be less stressed. Um, but what I've seen and observed and felt myself is that after about three months, it's like, okay, we're over this. Yeah. And it's just too much of our, of, too much of our, um, of, of ourselves and our families exactly. um, with, without being able to connect with other people and have some distance and separation. And that's sort of this next phase we're going through of, of um, even though a lot of stuff is reopening, um, you know, my, my, my kids can't still hang out with their friends and, and they're not going to be going to school in the fall directly. So th this sort of very overly close knit um, creation of COVID in a family um, has its own stressors. Yeah. Um, but, but actually, that actually leads to a, a final point that I want to bring up about growing. And again, this is classic um, sort of mindfulness is this idea of gratitude. And that, that for most of us, and again, being sensitive to those who have struggled, uh, being grateful for what we have. And hopefully uh, we have enough money in the bank and we've got decent health care and we have our, our families are healthy. And, and ultimately, in the end, for the vast majority of us, we're going to be OK. And that's another really important perspective to have. This is a horrible time we're going through, um, but it certainly could be worse. And it's not going to last forever. I think it's pretty safe to say. So every, every evening at dinner. Um, my family and I, before we eat, we, we ask what we're grateful for. We talk about our roses and our thorns for the day. And a, another really robust finding on happiness is that the people who are most grateful are also the happiest. And so just expressing gratitude toward, to, to yourself, to your family, to people in your life, to the first responders, to, to all the essential workers. I'm so cognizant of that when I go to the local grocery store or some of the stores and I see people putting themselves at risk in harm's way yeah. um, to keep the, 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 the gears of, of, of our lives moving, um, expressing really deep felt gratitude of like, this is my little saying, thanks for doing the job. Thanks yeah. for doing the job. Yeah. And as I say that, I, I, I get a little teary because it's a really powerful thing that a lot of people are doing out there to put 
keep money, to keep food on the table for their families and doing work that, that's risky where a lot of people have gotten sick and have died. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm immensely appreciative for, for all their efforts. Well, I am grateful for blood pressure and blood sugar because it means I'm alive. I'm also grateful for you, Dr. Jim Taylor, who has shared with us in this time uh, about, uh, a, I th- again, folks, you need to get a copy of this book. Go to his website, drjimtaylor.com, uh, and pick up a copy of How to Survive and Thrive When Bad Things Happen. It's the nine steps to cultivating an opportunity mindset in a crisis. And it's available on Amazon and all the good places. And uh, Jim Taylor, inspire, inform, transform, and preform. You want to know more about that? Well, I'll tell you what. Go to his website. You can also contact Jim if you'd like to do so by calling uh, 415-322-8425, 415-322-8425-JIM. At drjimtaylor.com is his website. And Jim, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. And hopefully when we are able to move about more freely, I would love for you to come to Santa Barbara. I would love to have you in studio to continue this conversation and um, and and uh, just keep elaborating on this stuff. It's it's not enough to do it once. you got to do it more than once. And we'd love to have you back again. Thanks so much, Richard. I appreciate the opportunity and you keep up the good work as well. I have three final questions for you. Before we wrap up the program, I usually ask these questions or get the answers during the uh, interview. Sometimes they are, uh, but I like to ask the questions directly and pointedly. Uh, But before I do, I want to remind our listeners that we're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com and podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, and many other locations. And if you'd like to support us, PayPal on the homepage of richarddugan.com is there for you to support us financially. And please take the time to during 2020, this year of perfect inner vision, perfect vision, go within, spend some time, get that insight, get that peace, get that calm, find that space and enjoy it and 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 relish in it because it's going to help you through the rest of your day. All right, the three final questions for you as we wrap up the program are number one, who is Jim Taylor? You, you want me to answer that question, Richard? I do. Okay. Um, I'm a guy driven by passions and inspiration, and I, um, I'm driven by my desire to share, to create and share ideas, and to help make the world a better place. I know that sounds incredibly cliche, but, um, but it's what's driven me all my life. It's not been money or fame. It's just been wanting to have an impact and to do things that I love to do. Well, let's change the world together. Question two. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? To just help people be happier, more successful, more at peace, and more connected. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Oh, my purpose and passion in life is to help people find their purpose and passion in life. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you so much again for joining us, Dr. Jim Taylor. And again, the title of the book is How to 
survive and thrive when bad things happen. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Remember to go to drjimtaylor.com. Find out more about Jim. Get in contact with Jim. I guarantee you he can give you some good insights and support and help in that regard, whether you buy the book or you contact him directly, email or phone. And I thank you again for joining us. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to lol.